This morning I'd like to take a look at a statement found in Hebrews 11:22. Book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 22 says by faith when Joseph died made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now this is the last words that Joseph spoke. You go back to Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter of that book, you find in verses 24 and 25 an amplification of what the Hebrew writer was saying here. Uh, this is one of those verses in the Bible that when you read in the New Testament, if you didn't have the Old Testament to go back and to study, you'd have a very difficult time, probably impossible to understand what the writer had under consideration. If you go to the Bible bookstore, sometimes they'll offer you a New Testament only to buy. But that's just part of the Bible. You need an entire Bible. You need all 66 books of the Bible. The Old Testament, 39 books. The New Testament, 27. Oftentimes, there are things in the Old Testament that's more clearly revealed to us by studying references in the New Testament. And there are things in the New Testament, again, that the Old Testament will bear light upon as well. And this is one of those verses. By faith, when Joseph died, now, just above that, it says, by faith, uh, when Jacob was dying, uh, he blessed both the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped leaning upon his staff. We notice the difference in those two expressions, when Jacob was a dying, and yet, in our text, it says, in Joseph, when he died. I think what you have here is Jacob's picture, or the picture of Jacob worshiping in his last days, took place close to his death, but not in, you might say, immediately before his death. But in Joseph's case, these are the last words he spoke. What we have concerning his father Jacob, in verse 21, is the picture of an action of a man. And it's a beautiful picture because it shows Jacob in his last hours on this earth. His last act is to worship God. But in Joseph, we find not an act, but rather some words. It says, by faith, when Joseph died, it says, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. That word made mention, literally, in the center of reference, will tell you means he remembered. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 50, and look at verses 24 and 25, you'll see where Joseph spake to his brethren, that is, to his literal brothers, of which some had probably passed away. So he's talking to his little brothers who are alive and their descendants of those who passed away. There were several brothers, you know, uh, actually all of them are older than Joseph. But it says he spake to his brethren. He said, Behold, I die, but God shall surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land that he promised unto Abraham and to Isaac unto Jacob. Now, Notice the word surely here because when we're talking about the things of God and the promises of God, we're always talking about something that is absolutely sure. It's just not a possibility. It is absolutely sure. So Joseph says to his brother, Behold, I die, but God shall surely visit you and bring you out of this land into a land that he promised unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, he's having reference to something that God told his great-grandfather. See, Joseph's father was Jacob. Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac's father was Abraham. 
So Isaac is Joseph's grandfather. Abraham is his great-grandfather. And we go back to Genesis chapter 15, and we find in this chapter where God enters into a covenant with Abraham. And you come to verses 14 and 15, and you find where God said unto Abraham, Know of a surety. Notice the word surety again. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall be afflicted of them. But they shall come out with great substance. He says, that nation whom they shall serve, he says, I will judge that nation, and they shall come out with great substance. And then he says to Abraham, thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt die in a good old age. First of all, he reveals unto Abraham something concerning Abraham's seed. Remember, God called Abraham when he was known as Abram in Genesis chapter 12, when he lived in the land of the earth of Chaldees. And he told Abraham, go to a land that I will show thee. He said, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now when he tells Abraham that, Abraham has no seed. He's 70, 75 years old. That promise will not come to pass for another 25 years as far as him having a promised seed, which will be Isaac. But we notice here in this covenant, again, in what he revealed unto Abraham, the first thing he tells Abraham, thy seed. Well, Abraham has no seed at that time. He said, but thy seed shall dwell in a land that is not theirs. He's talking about when they shall go down into Egypt. Shall dwell in a land that is not theirs. And they shall serve them. And they shall be afflicted of them. But I will judge that nation that they serve. And they shall come out with great substance. Now as we study what takes place in the book of Exodus under the leadership of Moses, we see everything that God told Abraham is going to come to pass to a jot and to a tittle. Joseph already had seen the first part of this promise take place. That is, that the nation of Israel had come down into the land of Egypt, which was a land that was not theirs. Joseph had not seen them serving the Egyptians. He had not seen the Egyptians afflict them. And he had not seen experience God bringing the nation of Israel out of there into a land that he swore unto the fathers. But Joseph believes this promise. How did Joseph know about this promise? Well, God revealed it to Abraham. Abraham revealed it to Isaac. God and Isaac told Jacob and Jacob tells Joseph. But we find also that God reveals the same thing unto Jacob. In the book of Genesis chapter 46, you'll find where Jacob has concerns about going down into the land of Egypt. But God comes to him and says unto him, Fear not, for I'll be with you. I will go with you down into Egypt, and I will bring you back up out of Egypt. Now, when he brings Jacob back out of Egypt, Jacob is not alive. Jacob is dead. But God kept his word. He brought the body of Jacob back out of the land of Egypt and also the family of Jacob. Because it's Jacob's family, the 12 sons of Jacob, make up the 12 tribes of Israel. God did just exactly what he said that he would do. So we see here that Joseph, based upon a promise that God made to Abraham over 200 years before he makes this statement, by faith, Joseph says it. Let's take a look at this statement. First of all, it's a statement of faith. That's what the entire 11th chapter of Hebrews is about. 
Another reason you need an entire Bible is because this 11th chapter of Hebrews has over 16 individuals named in it, and they're all people who lived in the Old Testament day. So if you don't have the Old Testament, you can't read about their lives. You won't even know who he's talking about. All 16 of these lived in the Old Testament day and were outstanding examples of living by faith and acting by faith. Sometimes it says by faith, sometimes it says through faith. And so he starts off, uh, you know, talking about uh, uh, Abel. And then he speaks about Enoch. And then he speaks about Noah. And then Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. And then he comes down to Joseph here. When he comes to Joseph, we're going to see where he speaks about something Joseph said, his last words on this earth. Now, if God had given me, you know, the job, you might say, of what to put down in Hebrews eleven twenty two, this is not what I would have put down. I can think of a lot of things I would have put down besides this right here. I mean, Jake, Joseph comes to our attention in Genesis chapter 37, and for 14 straight chapters here to the end of the book, of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, it centers around the life of Joseph. There's nobody in the Old Testament that's a type of Christ in many different ways as Joseph is. It's incredible how many ways you can find him to be a picture or a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he first comes to our church in Genesis chapter 37, he's 17 years of age, a very young man, 17 years old. And at 17, we find where his father Gave him a coat of many colors. That's about the only thing a lot of people know about Joseph. He was the man, oh yeah, he's the man who got the coat of many colors from his father Jacob. That's just the beginning of it. God had his hand upon this young man from the very beginning. And Joseph's going to have two dreams that God gives him that are very important. And the first dream is that he was in a field with his brother binding sheaves. And as they were binding sheaves, his 11 brethren, their sheaves all bowed down to his sheaf. Now, the Bible says they hated him that much more for his words. They didn't like that. Then he has another dream that he speaks to them about. And in this dream, he says, there was the sun and the moon and, and the 11 stars, and they all did obeisance unto me. That is, they all bowed unto me. Now, Jacob gives him mild rebuke. He says, what is this that thou said, my son, shall your mother and I and your brothers all bow down to you. Now, what's interesting about this also is his mother is not living now. His mother is dead. But his mother's represented by the moon here, Abraham by the sun, his mother Rachel by the moon, and his brother as the 11 stars. Shall we all bow down to you? And the Bible says his brother envied him and hated him that much more for his words. But notice what Jacob did. The Bible says, but then Jacob, who mildly rebuked him for this, he says, but Jacob observed the saying. That means Jacob was giving thought to this saying of his son Joseph. Now, this reminds me of the life of Mary over here in the book of Luke, chapter 2. You'll find over here when the shepherds came and they came to where Jesus was as the little baby, as he was laying in the manger. The shepherds made some declarations. And after they left, the Bible says that Mary pondered these in her heart. She gave heed to the things that she heard the shepherds say. She pondered them in her heart. There are things that you need to ponder in your heart. There are things you need to observe that's found in God's word. Just like Jacob observed what 
Joseph had revealed that God had showed him. And then later on in that chapter, you're going to find where when Jesus was 12 years of age, and you have the story, of course, where uh, they had been in Jerusalem and left, and Joseph stayed behind. They came back and found him in the temple. But the only part about that story I won't hear this morning is after Jesus told Mary and Joseph, which you know, it must be about my father's business, the scripture says that Mary kept these in her heart. Her heart's a place where she deposited things. Mary's heart is a place where she pondered things and she kept these things in her heart that she heard the, the shepherds say, and now she heard, hears her son, Jesus, at age of 12 say, she ponders and she keeps them right there in her heart. Our heart's a very important part of us, isn't it? I'm not talking about the physical muscle, the organ, whatever you want to call it, inside your chest that beats regularly and keeps us going, keeps us alive. But the heart in the Word of God is symbolic of the seed of emotion, the seed of affection, in a place where we are to embrace things and put things, observe things and keep things and ponder things. So Jacob ponders this. Here's something that Joseph observes that God gives him these two dreams and then declares them to the brethren where his brethren hate him and envy him. If I were going to put something over here in Hebrews chapter 11, if God just left it up to me, I might just start off with that. By faith, Joseph believed these dreams that God gave unto him. And then I might just say something else about Joseph because you come to Genesis 39, two chapters later, remember his brother envied him and hated him. And then they conspired to actually slay him. We find where the plan changed. He's put into a pit. Ishmaelites come along. They buy him and they take him down into Egypt. And it's hard for me to even imagine what Joseph must have felt as he's being carried off by a group of strangers down to the land of Egypt, leaving his father behind. He's 17 years of age, leaving his father behind and his brethren who envied him and hated him. But I believe Joseph still loved them and thinking I may never see them ever again in my lifetime. I've never had such an experience as that. So I can't totally fully relate to that, but I, I know it had to be a horrible experience for Joseph. Joseph winds up in the household of a man the name of Potiphar. And he's a servant in his household. And then we're told at least three different times that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph will spend the next 93 years in the land of Egypt. Joseph will die at 110. He'll spend the first 17 years of his life at home with his father and his brethren. And then he'll spend the last 17 years, uh, the last 17 years of his father's life, Jacob, will be spent with Joseph down in Egypt. He spends 93 years in the land of Egypt. The only time he left Egypt is recorded in Genesis chapter 49 when he takes his father, after his father dies, Jacob, and takes him back to the land of Canaan and buries him. 93 years he spends down in the land of Egypt. Let's see what happened in the first 13 years of life. He's in the household of Potiphar, and his wife makes advances on Joseph. He resists. He will not submit to the temptation. This was not an easy temptation to resist. He's a young man. He's in a land where there are no, he has no friends. He has no family. He's an alien. There's nobody he knows other than those he's gotten acquainted with in Potiphar's household. This would not be a, a, a temptation easily 
resisted, but he does so. To his credit, he does so because the Lord was with him. Finally, we find where Potiphar's wife lies to her husband concerning Joseph because of her anger of him resisting her repeatedly and turns it all around to make it look like it was Joseph making advances on her and Potiphar has him put in prison. Now that's a lie. But he's unjustly put in prison. He will spend 13 years in prison. Unjustly, 13 years. There's a baker and there's a butler in prison. You know, I might say something about the chastity here of Joseph and how the Lord gave him the strength and he relied upon the Lord to be strong enough to resist that temptation. And then we find he's in prison for 13 years and there's a baker and a butler and they both have a dream. And they're concerned about the dream and interpretation of it. Nobody knows how to interpret the dream until they talk to Joseph. And Joseph interprets the dream accurately for both of them. First of all, he interprets the dream for the butler. He says, in three days you shall be lifted out of the prison and restored back to your former position. The baker liked that interpretation, so he asked for it as well. He said, in three days you'll be lifted out of here. He says, but you'll be beheaded. Came to pass just exactly like Joseph said. Joseph tells the butler, he says, I've done nothing wrong to be in here. When you get out, remember me. But the butler forgot him. When I start looking at the life of Joseph, he's in a, he's in far, far in a foreign land. There's no family. There's no friends. In the beginning of his time there, he's lied upon. He has to face great temptation. He's lied upon. He's placed in prison. He spends 13 years in prison. Gives an interpretation to me. It came to pass exactly like he said. Told the butler to remember him. But the Bible says the butler forgot him. How much can a man take? Right? How much can a person endure? Well, he can endure and take as much as God gives him the strength to endure in the bear. The Lord is with Joseph. After 13 years, the Lord gives a dream unto Pharaoh. He doubles it up. And what the interpretation of these two dreams is this. There's going to be seven years of famine followed by seven years, excuse me, seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And there's really a practical lesson in this. You know, farmers, uh, I was raised on a farm, and I know uh, when you farm, there's never any guarantee what the crop is going to do. Sometimes the farmers have a bumper crop. That's always good. But a good farmer knows chances are there's going to come a year when there's going to be a crop failure. If I don't lay aside in the bumper crop years, I'll have nothing to get me through the year when there's a crop failure. Some farmers understood that, and they managed their affairs like they should have, and they got through it, and others did not. They wound up in bankruptcy. There's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh's so impressed with this, and Joseph tells him, he says, you need to put somebody in charge to manage this during the seven years of plenty. And Pharaoh says, well, who is so wise in the kingdom as wise as you? And we're going to find where Pharaoh is going to make Joseph the governor of all the land of Egypt. Now, isn't that an incredible story of the providence of God? Here's a man, his own brother, his own kinfolks, hate him and envy him, put him into a pit while they decide how they're going to slay him, only to have the plan changed and so they sell him for a profit. He winds up being a servant down in the land of Egypt 
no friends, no family, in a nation given to, totally to idolatry and uh, immorality uh, beyond imagination. While he's in that household, Potiphar's wife lies on him. He winds up being put in prison. Since 13 years in prison. Butler gets out, forgets all about Joseph. But the day will come when God will bring him out of that prison. At the age of 30, he stands before Pharaoh. I can say a lot of things about the life of Joseph put over here by faith that Joseph did in Hebrews chapter 11. But see, what's in Hebrews chapter 11 is the very last words that Joseph speaks. None of the behavior, none of the actions I've already spoke about is recorded here in Hebrews 11. So why in the world are we going to take a look at a scene? When you go to Genesis chapter 50, it ends up with a scene where Joseph's in a coffin, embalmed in a coffin in the land of Egypt. Joseph stands before Pharaoh at the age of 30. The Lord Jesus Christ began his public ministry at the age of 30. That's just one of the many types of the Lord Jesus Christ that Joseph is. He will manage wisely those seven years of plenty, and when the seven years of famine come, he's going to get everybody through that, including his own family. And you need to go back and just read the story. Don't have time to go into details about it this morning. How that Jacob and his sons, his brothers, all come down to the land of Egypt to fulfill the first part in Genesis 15, verse 13, that I've already given to you. And I want to go back to that just for a minute before I forget this thought. In Genesis 15, 13, 14, 15 there, when God tells Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed, thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs. They shall serve them, and they shall be afflicted of them. But I will judge that nation, and then they shall come out with great substance. Now, how in the world is a people going to come out with great substance? Well, go read it. You'll find that where God gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and they gave them their earrings and the gold and the silver. When they came out of there, they came out of there with great substance, just like the Lord said. But then after he tells them about thy seed, he says something to Abraham personally. He says, thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt die in a good old age. After him giving Abraham this prophecy that's not going to be fulfilled for over 400 years, he doesn't forget Abraham. Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt die in a good old age. I go to Genesis chapter 25 and I read about the death of Abraham. He lives to be 175. Now since the Bible says 175 is a good old age, and I'm far away from that, I think I stand on solid ground of saying I'm not in the old age category. I mean, I'm standing on the Bible, all right? He died in a good old age, 175. He died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, an old man and full of years. You're old at 175. That would make a whole lot of people here this morning feel good. At 175, he died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered under his, his fathers. Exactly what God told him came to pass exactly uh, again, as God has stated to him, so he first of all gives him a prophecy concerning his seed, then he gives him a prophecy concerning his own personal life. So let's go back to the text just a minute. We find in Hebrews eleven twenty two 22, it says, by faith, this is a saying of faith. There are some sayings, some things that you can say that doesn't require faith, but there's other things you say it requires faith to say it if you're saying it from your heart. Faith is not part of human nature. 
It's not part of human nature. You just can't, you know, bring faith up if you don't have a divine nature. Faith is associated with the divine nature, not the human nature. Before you're born in the Spirit of God, you have no faith. You have no faith, you cannot exercise faith. If you have faith, that's because you've been born in the Spirit of God. Faith is one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's defined in Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There are things that David is hoping for. Excuse me, all these people in Hebrews 11 are hoping for and Joseph hoping for, and they're hoping for it by faith. They believe that God's word is true. Joseph believed what God had told his great-grandfather Abraham well over 200 years before that statement was made. So Joseph is now 110 years old, and he says, he got his brother together. And he spake in his brother and said, Behold, I die. God shall surely visit you. How could he say such a thing? Because God said exactly what he was going to do. And he, he believes that. He believes somewhere out there in the future. God is going to come and going to visit you. And shall carry you out of this land unto another land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. The land is going to be, they're going to be carried out of is the land of Egypt. The land they're going to be carried into is the land of Canaan. Now another reason that Joseph believed this is based upon what his father Jacob told him that you find in Genesis chapter 48, verse 21. You'll find where Jacob is talking to Joseph. Now this is just a short time before Jacob leaves this world himself. And he says unto Jacob, he said, Behold, I die. But God shall visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore unto the fathers. Jacob believed what God had told Abraham, reiterated to Isaac, what God had revealed unto Jacob back in Genesis chapter 46. Jacob believed it and Jacob told him. In fact, there's about five things in this chapter that Jacob says to Joseph that I think is very noteworthy. First of all, you find in the beginning of this chapter where Jacob says unto Jacob, uh, Joseph, he says, God, he says, came to me in the land of Luz and blessed me. He then tells him, I thought I would not see your face, but God has not only shown me your face, but also your children. That is Abraham, uh, uh, Jacob's grandchildren. Then he says, God has fed me all the days of my life. Jacob here is 130, 147 years old, and he says, all the days of my life, I think that takes it all the way back to when he was born into this world, he says, God hath fed me all the days of my life. The very next verse he says, and the angel of God who delivered me will redeem me from all evil, having reference to God himself and no doubt his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath redeemed me from all evil. Then the last thing he says, well, there's, four, but there's a lot of verses in this chapter, but I'm picking out five significant things he said. He says unto Jacob here, he said, Behold, I die, but God shall visit you and bring you up out of this land. And notice he says he'll visit you, Joseph, and bring you up out of this land. Now Jacob may mention, Jacob, remember, that's what the word means over here in Hebrews eleven twenty two. 22. says in Jacob, excuse me, they both give him a letter J, Jacob and Joseph. So anyway, <laughs> their father's son. Uh, so anyway, says, uh, Joseph made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. 
He made mention. He remembered that. Where did he remember it from? He remembered it from what Jacob told him. And he remembered it going all the way back to what God told Abraham again in Genesis chapter 15. Now it took a long time for what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 to come to pass, but it came to pass. You come over to the book of Exodus chapter 15, the lifetime of Moses, and you'll find after Israel has been delivered out of the land of Egypt, they've not yet crossed the Red Sea. They're between coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. It says, and Israel spent 430 years down the land of Egypt, and God brought them out with great substance. What God had promised unto Abraham came to pass to a jot and to a tittle. Abraham's seed went down the land of Egypt. And see, at the time that Joseph is dying at 110 and telling Israel all of this, he has not yet witnessed what takes place when you start reading Exodus chapter 1. When this book ends, Genesis, you go to Exodus chapter 1, you're going to find where it says, another Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. He didn't know Joseph. And Israel had multiplied so exceedingly so exceedingly that Pharaoh was concerned if there was a, a war, a conflict with another nation, that the children of Israel would work against them. And he became so afraid about that, he devised at least three plans to where that, the, the number of the children of Israel would diminish and not continue to increase. Each time God overruled it. Remember the midwives, how they were instructed that when a male child was to be born, that they would see that male child did not live. But the Bible says the midwives feared God more than the command of Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh questioned them about this, they said, well, the Hebrew women, they're just more lively and stronger than the, the Egyptian women, and they are to have the child before we get there. <laughs> and then we find where it says, and God built them houses, gave them houses. That's all it says. I don't even know what that means. Other than the fact, God blessed them for doing it. God blessed them for not carrying out that death uh, no command of Pharaoh, God blessed them for doing that. And then they were to drown the children in the Red Sea. The male children in the Red Sea, and that's exactly where Pharaoh's daughter found Moses after he was born. After three months, he's hid in the ark of bulrushes down in the Red Sea. But nevertheless, we come on over here to the 13th chapter of the book of Exodus, and you're going to find where it says everything that God promised over here and stated in Genesis 15 has come to pass to a jot and a tittle. All T's are crossed and all I's have been dotted. So at the age of 110, by faith, this is a saying by faith, Joseph, by faith, Joseph believed what God had said. God, Joseph believed the promises. So he Tells his brethren, he says, surely, he said, I die, but surely, yes, I will not be here, but surely God will visit you. And shall carry you up out of here, out of this land, to a land he promised who? To Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. Joseph believed that, and by faith stated that. He remembered that, brought that back to their attention. And if you uh, go back and read the verses 21 and 22 there in Genesis 50, you're going to find where the Bible says that Joseph spoke kindly, spoke, comfort, uh, spoke words of comfort and kindness to his brethren. These are going to be words of great comfort that Joseph, no doubt, has received himself by believing these promises. What his father Jacob told him 
what he knew God said unto Abraham, and now he is going to comfort his brother with it. The very brother that envied him, the very brother that hated him, the very brother that put him into a pit, the very brother that sold him to the Ishmaelites into the land of Egypt, those very brethren Joseph shows comfort and speaks kindly to. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> That's the operation of grace and nothing short of it. But that reminds me of what Paul tells us over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 3 and following, you're going to find where he says, God's the God of mercies and of all comfort, who hath comforted us, whom we should comfort with the same comfort whereby we have been comforted and to comfort them in all their trials and tribulations. Now let me say that again. Okay? Uh, follow me closely. He's the God of all mercies and all comfort who hath comforted us. Have you ever been comforted of God? What have you done with that comfort? Who hath comforted us that we should comfort them with that comfort that God has comforted us with that we might comfort them in their trials and tribulations. So have you passed it along? Have you comforted other people with the same comfort God's given you? And I believe God comforts us in, in numbers of ways. There are times just God comes personally to you and gives you comfort. Maybe it's in the middle of the night and you've got a lot of concerns. I don't want to say worries. You know my, uh, my position on that. Uh, you should not have a worry list. A concern list is okay, but no worry list. All right? So you've got a lot of concerns in your life and you're wondering a lot of things going through one of those spells, and you're down in the valley, so to speak. And then God, and you pray to God, and God comes to you and gives you a comfort that you just can't explain, other than the fact a calmness and a peace just comes over you. And then God comforts us by our brothers and sisters in the Lord. How many times has somebody just come to you and put his arm around you without anything being said? Because he can just tell by your countenance you're going through a tough time. And he puts his arm around you and just says something that's encouraging to you. Has that ever happened to you? How about as a child growing up and you have a father and a mother who love you dearly. And you're going through some tough times as a child. And that mother and that father just comes along and just takes you in their arms and puts their arm around you and just gives you some encouraging words based upon their own experiences in life. And what about the gospel? Is not the gospel designed to give you comfort? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, thus saith the Lord, declaring to Jerusalem that her warfare is accomplished, that she see to the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, her iniquities have been forgiven. Her sins have been pardoned. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. If you've ever felt to be a sinner, if you've ever realized in your own heart, I'm a bankrupt sinner, unworthy of God's grace, unworthy of God's mercy, unworthy of God's favor, and the gospel comes along and says, God has loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, he's drawn thee. God sent his son to live the life you couldn't live. God sent his son to die for you that you might live with him someday. And it brings comfort to your heart that you could be embracing such a miraculous act of God's love. I 
I tell you, I need that kind of comfort regularly. I need the kind of comfort that where I'm reminded as Joseph remembered the promise of God. And the Bible says he spake kindly unto his brethren and, and comforted them as Joseph himself had been comforted by his own father. You know, I like reading when, jo when Jacob first came down into the land of Egypt. And when Jacob and Joseph first met, can you imagine? It had been years, and Jacob had thought for years that his son Joseph was dead. And all of a sudden, he's there. He sees his son that he loved so dearly face to face. And Joseph went to, to Pharaoh, told him about his father and one thing or another. You know what Pharaoh told Joseph? He says, you give them the very best of the land. You give them the land of Goshen. Give them the land of Goshen. It was the very best of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh is going to grant Joseph the favor of giving his father and his brethren and their children and all their little ones the very best in the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen. And he, again, going where it says, Jacob spake kindly unto them and gave them comfort. Just above that, he tells them, he says, and fear not. He says, for I will nourish you and your little ones and I'll take care of you and I'll provide for you. <laughs> Does that make you think of the Lord? And, and look, it's coming from the lips of Joseph to his brother. I emphasize one more time that hated him and envied him and sold him and conspired one time to slay him. And when they came down into Egypt, remember how all that goes when they first seen him? They, did not, they didn't even know where Joseph was. As far as they was concerned, Joseph probably was dead. And they stand before Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph knew them, but they didn't know him. You get a doctrinal point out of that? We love God because he first loved us and we know God because God first knew us. And Joseph knows his brother, but they don't know him until the time that Joseph purposes to reveal himself to them. And what a glorious time that is. Joseph wept so loud that all the Egyptians in the palace, they heard his weeping. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Uh, the tears were flowing and the sounds were coming from the, from the body from the, this man, Joseph, because he now sees his brethren, who the last time he seen them, sold them out of a pit to Ishmaelites. See, I could say a lot of things about the compassion, the compassion of Joseph. I could say a lot of things about the reverence that Joseph had for his father. His father Jacob in his dying hour, you know why he gets jo Joseph to swear to? He says, Joseph says, behold, I die. And he says, uh, and he got to put his hand under his thigh and commit this oath that when he died, he would take him up out of the land of Egypt and take him back to the land of Canaan. You might say, well, how did Jacob know that that would happen after he died, how would he know that his body would be taken out of Egypt? Because in that day and age, people kept the word. That's why. In that day and age, when somebody took an oath, they were serious about it. And he got Joseph to swear by an oath that he wouldn't do that. So Joseph comes. You need to read this. Genesis chapter uh, 49, I believe it is. We read about the death and the burial and everything that happened in the life of Jacob. Joseph did exactly what Jacob told him to do. First of all, they had Jacob embalmed, and then there was a period of 70 days that took place where they all mourned. Everybody mourned the passing of Jacob. 
And then Joseph goes to Pharaoh and asks for liberty and freedom to take his father Jacob back to the land of Canaan and bury him. And Pharaoh says, do it. You know what Joseph told him? He says, I'll go and bury my father and I'll come back. Been a great time for Joseph got out of there and never come back, right? But Joseph said, I'll come back. Pharaoh says, go and do it. And it says that they had horses and they had chariots and they had the elders of the land and also of the Egyptians. I mean, a lot of Egyptians went along with, with Joseph and his, and his family to take their father Jacob back to the land of Canaan and bury him right there where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah were all buried and Jacob takes taken back to the land of Canaan and buried there in the family plot. Joseph lived to be 110. That reminds me of a commandment, the number four in the Ten Commandments recorded in the book of Exodus chapter 20. And here's what it says. Remember thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long in the land in which you dwell. Joseph's a living example of that. Now I got two children here. Y'all listen to this. <laughs> Honor thy father and thy mother thy days may be long. Here is a promise of God. You honor your mother and your father and you got the promise that your days will be long here upon the face of this earth. And you see to it the other two get a copy of the CD. All right. Joseph's going to live to be 110. He reverenced his father. He honored his father. He did exactly what his father got him to swear to do. Took him there and buried him. And when they got over there, they took seven days of mourning. Once they got over there, this is a long, drawn-out thing. And then they all came back. And then we come to that 50th chapter where now Joseph meets with his brethren and he deals kindly with them and speaks comfortably to them. He says, fear not, I'll nourish you, I'll take care of you, I'll provide for you, not only you, but your children and children's children. And he was positioned to do it because he was the governor of the land. Now let's take a look at the second part of that statement. By faith, when Joseph died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel out of the land of Canaan and gave commandment concerning his bones. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 50. And you'll find in the beginning, he says unto his brother, and God shall surely visit you. When he talks about his bones, he includes the entire nation of Israel. And he gave a charge or took an oath of the children of Israel. That's the difference. Concerning his bones. And he gave a commandment concerning his bones that when they went out by the land of Egypt, that's how strong Joseph thought that God was surely going to visit them. He says that for the second time. And God shall surely visit you, and ye shall take my bones up out of here from hence. Why the bones? Why not say body? Why, why do you say bones? Because the flesh on those bones is going to be long gone. The Bible says, from the dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. Why is this so important? Joseph is not going to be permanently buried in the land of Egypt. Joseph knew what he believed. He knew who he believed in. And he knew that his place was not in Egypt. And he did not want the children of Israel to be so comfortable in their surroundings at that particular time that they'd forgotten about the promise of going to Canaan's land. Colossians 3, 1 says, And if you therefore be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sailed the right hand of God. Set your affection on things on high and not things here below. All through the Bible, Egypt is presented as that which is below. Egypt is a picture of darkness, a picture of sin, a picture of bondage, a picture of idolatry, a picture of the world in which we live. But see, the Israelites for a long time lived pretty comfortably down in Egypt. 
This is all before the afflicted here in Exodus chapter 1. When another Pharaoh arose and knew not Joseph. They had been given the, the best land there was, the land of Goshen. Uh, they, their own brother is the governor of all of Egypt. He's taking care of all of them. They have great favor in, in, among the Egyptians. And all the Egyptians, they really adore Joseph. But that's all going to change. Yeah, every bit of that's going to change. And when it does, it's important that they're reminded that God is going to visit them and bring them out of that land. And so his coffin is a reminder of that. In the book of Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord, for the Spirit thus saith that their works do follow after them. Here's a good example of that. Joseph died in the Lord, but his works is going to follow him. He's going to have great influence after his death, just like he did before his death. When they're going through some of those afflictions, they see the coffin of Joseph. It reminds them, Joseph said, God's going to visit us and get us out of this mess. It was a reminder to them. It was a testimony to Joseph. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. It was a testimony that Joseph truly believed that God would visit them and take them out of there. And when they did, they were to get his bones and take his bones out of there as well. He did not belong in the land of Egypt. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this morning, you don't belong here in this world. You're a pilgrim and a stranger just traveling through right here. Don't get attached to this world right here. It's nothing but misery and heartache in this world. Jesus can give you peace in the midst of trials and tribulations. But if you therefore be risen with Christ, and you were risen with Christ uh, rep, in, a, in a representative way, when he died for you and, and was buried and rose for you after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, when you were born in the Spirit of God, you were raised from a state of death and sin to a state of life in Christ. If you therefore be risen with Christ, do what? Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's what you need to be seeking. Let me tell you something. When the leaders in the land of Egypt died, they were buried with great pomp and show, with great honor. Joseph wants none of that. Joseph thinking about a little plot of land way over there in the land of Canaan. He went from a dungeon to the palace. He went from no recognition to being honored for his wisdom and his kindness and his compassion. Not only among the Egyptians, among all the nations of the world at that day. They came down to Egypt to buy corn of Joseph. He was admired throughout the entire world. And when the leaders of Egypt, when they died again, oh, it was something else. It was great pomp and great show. One thing, and they were buried with great honor, you might say. And Joseph could have all of that if he wanted it. He didn't want it. He wanted to be sure that at least symbolically, he knew physically he would not be alive when God visited them and took them out of that land, but at least symbolically, if they had his bones, he'd be represented. And they took him out of that land. Go to Exodus chapter 13. After God comes with those 10 plagues, and the Israelites now have the liberty to leave that land. The Bible says in Exodus 13, 19, and Moses took the bones of Joseph. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. And then they crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness. And for 40 years, they took the bones of Joseph with them from place to place to place to place. 
It became a perpetual reminder to the Israelites that our home is not down here in the land of Egypt. Our dwelling place is in that promised land called Canaan. It's a testimony, a reminder of the last words that Joseph said. Surely God shall visit you and shall bring you up out of this land into a land that he promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Brother, and whenever I try to preach to you, most of the time I'm just preaching to you on the promises of God. <laughs> these are not my promises, these are God's promises. These are not my words, these are God's words. I just want you to know them and remember them. I don't want you to forget them. And they were made a long time ago, were they not? A long time ago, at least 2,000 years ago, were the last words of our Lord Jesus Christ spoken and recorded here in the New Testament. But I'm telling you, they're true. And I want you to understand that and remember that. We come up here to the book of uh, Joshua, chapter 24, the last chapter in the book of Joshua. And guess what? Joshua's died. He's going to die. You know how old Joshua was? 110. Exact same age as Joseph. But before Joshua died, the Bible says that Joshua buried the bones of Joseph in a place called Shechem. Shechem was the inheritance of Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. A very appropriate place for him to be buried, right? You go to John chapter 4 and verse 5 in the New Testament, you'll find where the Lord Jesus Christ comes into, the, uh, into Samaria and he comes to Jacob's well, a place, it says, where Jacob had bought a parcel of land and given to his son Joseph. That's the only other time this Joseph is mentioned in the New Testament. There are several other Josephs are. That's the only other time this Joseph's mentioned in the New Testament. But we're told there that Jacob's well was in that parcel of land he bought for 100 pieces of silver from a man by the name of Nahor, Hamor, I believe it is, whose son was Shechem. That's where they're buried. That came, became the capital of the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, his own sons. That's where he's buried. I'm on about five minutes of your time here in closing this morning. When it comes to passing this scene of life and coming to the end of the journey of life, I believe the Lord's people can be very optimistic about their future. And when I read in the Bible about death, I read it out expressed in different ways. And I learn something from every expression. I've already given you what the Lord said unto Abraham. Isn't that a comforting word that God gave to Abraham? Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt die in a good old age. 175 happens to be that age for Abraham. Okay. Then we read about the death of Abraham once again. Abraham died at 175. He gave up the ghost. He died in a good old age. He died an old man in peace and was gathered unto his fathers. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I look in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It starts off by saying, Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth when the evil days come not. And then symbolically it begins to tell you all the things you have to endure in the latter years of life. You don't see as well as you used to see. You don't hear as well as you used to hear. Your nerves aren't what they once were. Am I reaching anybody? You can't run as fast as you used to run. There's aches and pains that you didn't know existed only in word only when you're in your 30s. And you'd hear your daddy speak about rheumatism and arthritis. And you say, well, what is that? 
Well, you found out what it was. You live long enough, you'll find out what it is. When a child, you could just run up a tree, get to the tallest uh, limb up there and scare your parents to death, and now you can't even get on a, a one-foot step stool. Then it comes on down to then, it says, and then their long journey ends, going to their long-sought home. What's that make you think about? Go to your long-sought home. If the silver cord be loosed and the golden bowl be broken, and the pitcher be broken at the fountain, and the, uh, the wheel be broken at the cistern. What good is a wheel at the cistern if it's broke? What good is a fountain? What good is a pitcher at a fountain if the fountain is broken? Excuse me, if the pitcher is broken. What good is the golden bowl, the whole the things of you know if it's broken? That's what they're good for. But when they're broken, they're broken, right? Then I come over to the New Testament, and I read in Second Corinthians five and one. Where the Apostle Paul says, if we know this, if this earthly house, this tabernacle be dissolved, you know what that word dissolved means? It means to disintegrate. I think about two Alka-Seltzer tablets dropped in a glass of water. And they fizzle and they sizzle and everything else. And just a little bit in a short period of time, you don't see two tablets anymore. In fact, all you see is cloudy water. If we know this tabernacle, earthly tabernacle will be dissolved, guess what? We have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens above. In that same chapter, he says, while we are present in the body, we are absent with the Lord, but we rather have confident that while we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. And that, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? When are you absent from the body? When you take your last breath and you become absent from the body, then what happens? You're present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 and 23 Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And verse 23 says, I'm going to straight betwixt two, have a desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. But nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. These are all just pictures we have in the Bible concerning death. But when you see that picture concerning death, you have something else that comes along with it. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 again. When we go to that long salt home and the silver cord is loosed and the golden bowl is broken, etc., etc. Then shall it says, then shall the spirit return back to God which gave it. You're gonna go back to God. You're gonna go back to God which gave it. And this body shall go back to the dust of the earth. From dust thou art and dust thou shalt return. Heard a man one time at, at a cemetery, speaking at, at the graveside of the cemetery, and his only statement at the grave is this. The Bible says, unto dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. I said, and? <laughs> and? That was it. And I'm thinking, well, is that supposed to be comforting? That's not it. <laughs> the Lord knows where those ashes are. And by the way, he didn't say ashes, he said dust. There's a lot of difference between dust and ashes. Under dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. Is that it? No, it's not. Just like God created man from the dust of this earth, he became a living soul. To be in his nostrils, the breath of life, became a living soul. The good Lord, my friends, knows exactly where every child of grace, every heir promises at. And when he comes again the second time, he will speak, and all cemeteries will open up, all graves will open up. All uh, sepulchers will open up wherever a body has been placed, whether it be in the ocean or in the valley or the mountains or wherever it may be. God knows where it's at. God is speaking. That body will come right out of there. 
to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, when Joseph died, when Jacob, when he was a dying, where was their mind? I had some thoughts on that, but I won't have time to express it this morning. Well, maybe I do. No, I won't. I didn't want to scare anybody there. When Jacob was a dying, let's just close with that picture. When Jacob was a dying, he blessed both the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he worshiped, leaning upon his staff. He was weak. He was old. He was weak. He had just enough strength. How was he using that strength to worship God in his dying hour?